You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Hey. Hey. Wow. Hi. That, you know, mm-hmm. you responded immediately. I did. I was not prepared for that. It's not even the magic of editing. That was real life. That was real life. And I hope that feels as strange for our listeners. <laughs> what? As it did in the moment for me. <laughs> not in a bad way. Okay. I just hope it feels Don't. strange in a good right. Good... <laughs> yes. Like unexpected things yeah. that delight and surprise. No, that I do love. You I know? enjoy that very like much. Like a good joke. Mm-hmm. That That is really part of what makes a great joke is if it's the unexpected but there are like scientific schools of thought surrounding what makes uh, humor funny and one of the schools of thought is surprise oh yes that's one of the things i know that sounds stupid that i'm saying that's like what authority (laughs) am i on this but there are specific like pillars we'll say tangents or categories classifications yes and i think that's very fascinating and it's really a bad intro to a podcast (laughs) (laughs) It was unexpected. Do you know what else is unexpected? Tell me. When the Holy Spirit shows up. Okay. I was was waiting for the rest of the sentence. I think you were too. I was. That was a Michael Scott moment where it's like, I started the sentence and I don't know where it was going and I just kind of hoped that it it ended up somewhere. You brought it home. Wasn't treacherous and disastrous. You brought it home and it made sense. There we go. Yeah. Hopefully it's not always unexpected. I mean, but maybe it is. I don't know. Mm. I feel like I can get into tricky. Is it more rewarding if it's that's a that's not one of the questions. Yeah, no, it's it's not. But I mean, maybe in an alternate universe or one day it could be. Yeah. I don't know. What are we doing today, Ethan? Well, we are talking about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We're actually specifically answering uh, submitted questions. Yeah. Which I'm super excited about. Yeah. That's fun. It is. It's tough. Yeah. We talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit this past weekend Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. message. It was Luke chapter four, the last two thirds of it, the whole thing. It was Mm -hmm. a long chapter, man. That's a lot of material to get through. Thank you. That is very, I'm not biased. Very kind of you. You are. I try not to be though. I mean, you know, I do. I, uh, you know, I, I, uh, you provide honest feedback. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. When you're like, Hey man, what are those words and why? Would some, you try to use uh, them? I mean, sometimes it's like, oh, and then you say why. And I'm like, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. You yeah, got me there. It's a give and take. It's a give, it's and, a give take. and take. So all that to say, mm-hmm. we did want to answer some of the questions related yes. to the Holy Spirit that I didn't have time to get into. Mm. Some questions were submitted on an Instagram poll, of all things. Keep your eyes peeled on that Insta feed. Yeah. So you want to kick us off here? The first question? Yeah. Okay. If every Christian has the Holy Spirit from the moment of conversion, how do we tactically walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? That is... As people say when people ask questions, a great question. It is a great question. <laughs> it's This hits the nail on the head for like actually a lot of isms in Christianity. Yes. It feels nice to say. It sounds even better. Yeah. But what in the yeah. world? Like, How do you do it? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I just do this. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I know what that means. And the, the sad thing is that you're inclined to pass that ambiguous sentiment on to someone else who has no clue. Right. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> So hopefully we're going to resolve some of that today. <laughs> yes, hopefully we will resolve at least a good chunk of it. So that language of walking by or in the power of the Holy Spirit comes from Paul, particularly in Galatians 5.16, mm-hmm. which reads, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, which I think that any Christian who reads that verse probably thinks to themselves, I want to do that. 
Oh, sure. I want to not be exhausting avenues of sin, Mm -hmm. and I want to be walking on the right road of faith with the Holy Spirit. I do not know any Orthodox Christian (laughs) who does not want to do that thing that Paul just described. That's a pretty boilerplate desire. It is. Boilerplate desire. Great image. (laughs) I like that. So the tricky thing, as you alluded to about this verse, is there's no instruction surrounding it on how to walk by the Spirit. In fact, the rest of that chapter, chapter 5, Paul more or less just describes Mm -hmm. what a Spirit-filled life looks like as opposed to a person who continually indulges their Mm. sinful flesh, which descriptions are great, but they're not necessarily helpful on the tactical level of how to. You're getting like, well, here's what it looks like, but you're still not helping me understand how to walk by the Spirit. But Paul does not leave us in the dark on this. And this is actually, I feel like, a fun exercise in how to practice biblical hermeneutics. (laughs) Reading and interpreting the scriptures. Um, Because particularly, Paul actually answers some of these quandaries Mm -hmm. earlier in the same book, in Galatians. He actually addresses this in Galatians chapter 3. And that's something to keep in mind anytime you're reading scripture. If you have a question that comes up in a particular verse and the immediately preceding or following verses don't answer it, look through what else the author has said in that book Mm. on that topic and you might find the answer you're looking for right there Mm. or you might find it in another book that author wrote or you might find it in another section of scripture. You kind of start working your way out in concentric circles and it can can take a while. But in this case, we're lucky in that Paul actually (laughs) discusses this. In Galatians 3, in verses 1 through 2, here's exactly what he says. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I because they were- It's a they good were, start. Yeah. yeah, it's a great start, man. What an attention to get it right there. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, that's the preaching of the gospel. He preached the gospel mm. and said, Jesus Christ was crucified for your sins, etc. And then he says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing mm. with faith? So what he's implying underneath that question is you received the spirit. Exactly. And how did you receive it? By hearing with faith. So for Paul, receiving and living in the power of the Holy Spirit primarily comes down to our faith in the gospel and our belief in the word of God. Now, the apostle Peter, again, to practice concentric circles, because that's a helpful guidance. Okay. But it's not super, super specific, right? Like, right. okay, hearing the word with faith, well, what is that? Mm. Again, you can take that another tactical level, yeah, it's, right? it's a seed. It's a, yeah. it's a little piece of the information. Right. So here's how Peter addresses mm. this topic in 2 Peter 3, 3 through 4, okay? okay? He does not use the exact same terminology. So that's another thing to keep in mind. When you're looking for answers to the questions. That's almost helpful. Yeah, it is. Like you're kind of interpreting, yeah. if that makes sense what maybe another author said mm-hmm. rather than just using the same phrases and saying, oh, know what this means. It's like, no, you actually get an interpretation of this. Here's what he says. He says, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay, so that's Paul, right, mm-hmm. saying walk by the spirit through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Now, this is where it gets key. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Mm. Notice the end of that paragraph. Mm-hmm. Peter's getting at, here's how you escape the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, which would be another way of what Paul said, how you don't gratify the right. desires of the sinful flesh. Here's how Peter says we escape it, though. He doesn't say simply, did you receive the Spirit exactly. by faith? What he says is through the knowledge of God, right? So that's knowing God through Mm -hmm. his word. 
and believing the precious and great promises that he has given to us. And in believing the specific precious and great promises, we become partakers of the divine nature. There's a lot packed in that. Yeah. In shorter terms, that is a longer way of saying, here's how you walk by the spirit. You take hold of specific promises, which are scoured all throughout scripture. And you look at who God is as he's revealed throughout scripture. And particularly, you look at who he is as revealed in the face of Jesus. And you cling to those very specific and precious promises and you believe them. And that's kind of what Peter is, I think, more or less getting at here. So yeah, that's kind of the short answer to that little query there. You say short. That's why, you know. (laughs) It's really loaded. And I appreciate that, though. Uh, Um, Like, I appreciate that he goes to such length in those couple verses. Yeah. Because the first time you read that, I was like, "Uh, let me reread. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Peter's grammar is not the greatest either, you know. Yeah, it uh, it was a maze. Yeah, yeah. But I, who am I to critique? <laughs> Were you an inspired author of the Holy Scriptures? Clearly not. <laughs> Clearly no. Oh, gosh. Uh, but we, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, we have an article on resources that pertains to this. Yeah, we actually have an article on there. It's titled Walk by the Spirit. I believe that's the title of it. If you mm-hmm. search that term, you will find it. And that article actually has a list of what I'd call essential promises that I've put in my own tool belt that I go to to help me walk by the Spirit and strengthen my faith. Now, I do want to offer one brief-ish disclaimer on this whole topic. And this was brought to my attention most recently by the theologian Dr. Paul Maxwell. Hmm. People can be disciplined without the Holy Spirit. And here's what I mean by that. Take the Navy SEALs as an example of this. The Navy SEALs are the most elite fighting force on this planet. They are the cream of the crop when it comes to the military. You have to be the best of the best to be a Navy SEAL. And that means that you have to be maximally disciplined and you have to be a master artist of self-denial and endurance. Is that alone a sign that these Navy SEALs are saved? Does their discipline mean that they're saved? Certainly not. No, it does not necessarily mean that. There could be Navy SEALs that are Christians, but that discipline and self-denial alone is not indicative of the fact that they're saved or that they're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. Now, I say all that to say that, tragically, I think a lot of our military is probably more disciplined than we are as Christians. (laughs) They're more disciplined than we are. That's probably true. And they don't have the Holy Spirit. Most of them don't, right? Like, they're, they're not walking in the power of the Spirit. So, I say all that to say, as you're reading Scripture and you are scouring for promises to trust and you're putting those in your tool belt and you're exercising that muscle of faith in God and you're trusting specific promises. Don't think that all your temptations and struggles are magically going to go away as if you've discovered some sort of magic incantation. Yeah, for real. These promises and truths should operate as fuel for our discipline Mm. to help us do what the author of Hebrews said, which is we need to strive for the holiness without which no one will see God. So these promises not only help us walk by the spirit, not gratify our sinful flesh, but they become fuel for us to say, oh, that's the desired end that God has for me. He's given me his spirit. He's given me the power and the help and the resources through scripture and the Holy Spirit and the church, other believers. That's a huge key piece that I think we're prone to forget because we want to figure out things on our own. But that's another topic for another time. 
those should fuel our discipline and our resolve to strive after the holiness without which no one will see God. And in the words of the philosopher Dallas Willard, to answer a potential objection, well, that sounds like salvation by works. No, you receive salvation freely. Dallas Willard put it like this. He said, grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. Hmm. And I found that particularly illuminating in my own life as I think through these issues and these things. That's good. That's a good quote. Yeah, Dallas Willard, he's a smart guy. He's hard to read, but he's a smart guy. You should pick some of that up. And by the way, just a for fun note that I just thought of, if you own a resource that is particularly helpful on the angle of how not to gratify the desires of the flesh, how to escape the corruption that is in the world, I'm reading a book right now by an old Puritan called Hmm. The Mortification of Sin by John Owen. Highly recommend. A phenomenal resource. Buy an updated copy, though, if you're going to buy it. Do not not buy the unabridged old English version because it's a struggle. Get the updated one. Oh, my word. Do they have these instead of use? Oh, it's these, thous. It's old English words that I'm looking up in a dictionary to try to see, like, what what did this word mean back then? Because... The way they use it obviously has a different meaning now. I love to look at it. I don't love to read it. Yeah. It's yeah. like, uh, isn't that uh, <laughs> And it sounds nice. poetic. Exactly. You know? It has a very poetic sound, but he uses the word, and I had to laugh because we use this word again. You can detect what he's getting at, but we use it in a very different way. He was writing very seriously about the condition of sin oh, and gosh. believers' hearts. And he gets on this long sentence, and he ends it with, and some believers thus exhibit the superfluity of naughtiness within them. Like, it's something like that. Like, and I'm reading that, like, I can't take that seriously. Like, you just want to use the word naughtiness. You're like a 16th, 17th century Puritan. Like, come yeah. on, man. So, anyway, good resource. But, uh, yeah. Good. But we do have another question. Yeah, another one. <laughs> so, why is it that the presence of the Holy Spirit seems stronger in the presence of others during worship? Okay, so the way I'm understanding this question is something like this. When we gather together for corporate worship once a week, mm-hmm. we're doing a number of things together. And I'm taking corporate worship to be not just the singing portion, which uh, I think we're sometimes tempted to certainly see it that way. Mm-hmm. Like the worship is the singing and then the rest is something else. Historically, corporate worship, though, is involved the entire service. So it was not just the singing. The worship service being the service at large. Yes. So worship was also prayer Mm. and worship was hearing the word of God being preached and worship was observing communion together. And the weeks that it happened, worship was baptism. It was watching people baptize, profess their faith and reminding ourselves, I professed my faith. I've been buried with Christ and I'm living a new life. So worship historically has been viewed as all that. That is all part of worship. And that is done corporately with other believers. So what I think the experience that they're getting at when they're asking that question, Mm -hmm. when they say the, the Holy Spirit, why does his presence seem to be stronger when we're with other believers? I think the experience he's getting at, like let's say there's a moment during a particular worship song or maybe when a particular portion of the scripture is being preached or as the prayer is being prayed or as the bread and the cup pass between your lips. There's this acute and almost indescribable moment that will happen. And I'm going to say like in my own life, it doesn't happen all the time or necessarily every time that I'm worshiping. Right. But there are these moments where we'd say that the presence of the spirit is more uh, quote unquote manifest. Yeah. 
perhaps than more he normally apparent. is. Cause, yeah, because the Holy Spirit is with you always. Mm. That's the promise of Jesus is I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So there's never a time when you're completely without. forsaken or without the Spirit. But there are these moments where in worship, and particularly it most often happens with other believers present, your heart might be strangely warmed. Again, to allude to the Puritans, they would say your affections are stirred. Hmm. I was going to say um, stirred, yeah. Yeah, and suddenly you might feel like you're somehow waking up to reality as it was always meant to be. Like you get this, this very- is interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's like, I mean, there's like this crystal clear picture of this is right. There's a longing here being met that nothing else in this world has quite satisfied. That they've all pointed to, and they're all good things, but they don't quite attain to the fullness. As a glimpse of something more. Yeah, precisely. So all that was to say, I think that's what we're getting at with this question. I hope that's what we're getting at. If there's something <laughs> else, then I'm, this, this, this answer is going to make no sense, and it's going to be uh, no help. And another disclaimer is not to say that these kind of moments can't happen by yourself. I've had moments like these on my own where I'm in the quiet morning hours praying, reading scripture, and I have that moment. Or when I'm driving down the road and I see the sun crest over a mountain ridge and, you know, the sky turns all orange and purple. And I'm like, wow, those moments can happen. But they do tend to be, I think, focused. And this may be anecdotal. I don't know about in your own life. But the moments that I most clearly remember and that were most formative for me were in a community of people that I loved. And Same for me. Trusted. So that's what the question we're getting at. I just want to make sure we're, we're, we're clear on where we're going with this. And if that question, I didn't quite get to the essence of it, then whoops. Send it again to podcast.horizonschurch.net. <laughs> Here are two verses in particular that I think shed light on this. The first is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, Paul is writing to the gathered church at Corinth, right? Gathering of other Mm -hmm. believers. And he's addressing a lot of other issues in 1 Corinthians. And even in that chapter, in that passage, if you want to dig into that more, you can actually check out some of our sermon series from 2018. Yeah. Uh, Focus, First, Mm -hmm. and The Gap. I think those are the three that we did. But what he's saying in those verses that is very interesting to me, when he says, do you not know, and God's spirit dwells in you, the you in those verses is not singular. It's plural. It is you all, particularly together, are a new kind of temple. And the temple in scripture, of course, was the place where heaven met earth. It was where God came to meet and be with his people. Uh, The temple was a special place set apart from other places. It had this quality about it that separated it from the rest of creation. All right, particularly as you read the Old Testament, God's presence is manifest in the temple in a way that it just simply is not manifest in the rest of creation, which again, just so we're clear, does not mean God's presence is not manifest in creation. That's Paul's argument in Romans 1 and 2, Mm -hmm. right? right? It's saying there is something particularly special that happens in the temple. And what Paul is saying is that you all together are a temple. Exactly. And when you're gathered together, there is something special when you are singing with one another, just an example. So like if you and I were in a worship service together Mm -hmm. and let's say we had people that we knew and loved Mm -hmm. and we were gathered together in this moment and our gazes were all collectively fixed on Jesus. Mm -hmm. There is something in that moment that happens that is unique to that 
gathering. Certainly. And in Paul's mind, that is linked to the fact that God's spirit dwells in not just us individually, but in a special way. Collectively. Collectively and together. Another angle that we come at this from is in Colossians 127, where Paul says that the great mystery of God hidden for generations, but now revealed is Christ in you, again, plural, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So there is another very difficult to describe mysterious way in which when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of you through faith, there is something about that which leads Paul to say, Christ is in you, mm-hmm. right? And the Holy Spirit and Christ are distinct, right. right? They're not the same person. One God, different persons, the Trinitarian formula. But there's something about it that makes him say that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so the way you might think of it is when you are gathered together with other believers, you're literally just increasing the concentration of the presence of Christ and the spirit in a particular place. You're literally doing that for lack of a better term. It's almost like comparing a bath to the ocean, right? (laughs) Like, you know, like, both are good. Like, you know, I, I'm going to hop into a bath or shower and, you know, I'm going to get clean and rinsed and washed and that's good. But you cannot compare the water like in a bathtub to the vast gravity and majesty and mm. pull of the ocean. You get into that, it's going to sweep you away. It's going to overwhelm you. And just looking at it is going to do that. And it's a similar, I think, sort of effect that takes place when all manner of believers are gathered together. Because not only, like I said, are you just literally increasing the concentration of people who have the Holy Spirit within them in one place, but you're witnessing, if you're paying attention, how God's Spirit is working in their lives too, Hmm. which kind of becomes a roundabout way that he works in your life. Yeah, by proxy. Yeah, because I think like some of the most awe-inspiring moments for me that the Holy Spirit worked in my own heart had almost nothing to do with me directly. It had to do with things that were happening and that he was doing with my friends and with people that I loved and cared about. And that changed me and formed me and shaped me. So all that to say, I think that's why in a more or less short term answer, that is why you're more prone to have those kind of moments in worship because you're literally increasing like the concentration of people who are experiencing that. So yeah, the short answer ish. Well, we are running short on time. Yeah, we, we indeed actually are. <laughs> but, you know, just for fun, just for kicks. Yeah. Here's another one. Even though he's not a, a spooky ghost. <laughs> I'm so happy you got to say that. <laughs> what ghostly things does he still do? What ghostly things does the Holy Ghost do? Okay. I love it. I'm literally question. like, this is not set in stone stuff. I'm just, I, this is fun. This and, is for you kicks. Know, yeah, no, not blasphemous. He's immaterial. Okay. So that's- That's one that's, check mark. Yeah, one check mark. Might be able to help people teleport through walls. I um, love it. That's Jesus. Right. Um, and that, are, it's like a recurring thing. Yeah. That he slips. I love it. It's so cool. Yeah. He just slips in and out of sight and through walls, locked rooms, which may have something to do with the glorified body, question well, mark. Okay, right, I don't at know. At that point. Okay. Yeah. But, you know. Prior to that. Verse. Prior to yeah. that. There are unique circumstances. Yeah. Like in the sermon, like when he just. Exactly. Through the crowd. So there's that. He reveals knowledge from other dimensions of existence, oh, from another dimension of existence, rather. Oh, that's awesome. So that's, read 1 Corinthians 2 today, if you yeah. want to know. Like, he reveals knowledge from another dimension. And then the final thing, I don't know if this counts as spooky ghost, I, ghosty I, ghost. I'll tell you, believe me. But um, <laughs> he's kind of like a time traveler. 
Uh, okay. Well, qualities maybe that, that one's a little reaching. You know, yeah, okay. in the, in the classical fair. understanding of ghosts. Oh, ghosts. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, in a sense, the theory obviously that I don't necessarily ascribe to, but have a lot of time musing about. <laughs> um, they do kind of transcend because the idea is that they died in a particular. This is not what the content of the podcast <laughs> is supposed to be. Let's just take it away, Josiah. <laughs> Go into another dimension. But yeah, anyway, if you were thinking about that, the Holy Spirit helps us live as citizens now of a kingdom that has not come yet. And you read passages where Paul says, you've been crucified with Christ. Well, you haven't literally, the Holy Spirit kind of quote unquote, time traveled your spirit back to that point and crucified, you know? I know those are all kind of a little bit stretchy, but you could actually really philosophically and theologically develop some of those points. And very much those points have been discussed by much mm-hmm. smarter men. In fact, like the time traveler comment, I think the author David Murray maybe first noticed that. That's interesting. Anyway. I think it's interesting anytime you bring up the concept of time in relation to God. Oh, yeah. Because then it gets hairy quick. It gets very hairy and very intense. I love it. Maybe that's not the podcast sometime. Okay. Gosh, are we kidding? Can we cover the theory of time and God's relationship to it in 20 to 30 minutes? We can have fun. (laughs) Oh, well, that concludes this sort of rapid fire-ish Q&A on this past weekend's message. So if you have other questions, send them. Please do. To podcast at horizonschurch.net or keep an eye out for random Instagram polls stories, that yeah. show up. Yeah, Instagram stories. Who knows? You never know. You, you never don't. Know. Well, you do. Yeah, we just told you. Yeah. So thanks for listening <laughs> and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.